Praise God. It is such a joy to hear about what happened that day on Transform Dallas. And just praise God for what he's doing in and around our city. And for, I know many of you were there. Um, your faithfulness, your willing to step in and serve is just so amazing. I also want to say before I get started, Simon, thank you for your prayer. I needed it. I needed it. Simon called me, um, I think it was Thursday or Friday, and he was like, so in our All Nations congregation, when we pray, we take prayer requests and then pray. And I said, Simon, I've got a sermon to preach, and you're going to get into the time that I need to preach if we had everybody give their prayer requests. But you covered it all. I mean, seriously, so thank you. But this 4th of July weekend um, is so great to be here, and we are still in a sermon series called Hymns, Songs That Shape Us. And of course, for the 4th of July weekend, what other hymn would we use other than the battle hymn of the Republic, other, also known as My Eyes Have Seen the glory. Now, I went around and asked a bunch of people about this hymn and if they knew about it. And, you know, if they were 50 or older, they said, I love this song. It's one of my favorite hymns. And then millennials and younger, they went, what? That's a hymn? I've never heard that before. But here's the first stanza. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah, his truth is marching on. Now, I know many of y'all love this hymn, but I have some good news and some bad news. I'm going to start with the good news first, although I know that's not how you're supposed to do it. But the good news is... This hymn is packed with scripture. It is rich. It is beautiful. And when we sing it and we are praising God, we are also witnessing to our hearts and to those around us about who God is, what he has done, what he is doing, what he is going to do. In fact, I love what Billy Graham has to say about hymns like this. Listen to what he says. Hymns have been a powerful instrument of God to draw people closer to his word and the saving riches therein. So hear me first. I am excited for us to sing this hymn. It is powerful. It is true. It is biblically solid. And we are going to sing it later. But can I tell you the bad news? Well, let me give you some background about this hymn. It was written by a woman named Julia Ward Howey. And she wrote this in the 1800s around the time of the Civil War. She looks sweet, right? Well, when she wrote this hymn, she did not write it to worship God. Rather, she took scripture and she warped it for her own agenda. No one's ever done that before, right? But what she did was she used this really to worship an abolitionist named John Brown. Now, John Brown, he was against slavery. That is such a good thing. But he took his own righteous anger and went and murdered slave owners all around the South. And he died. And so Julia decided to write this hymn to keep John Brown alive, to keep his mission alive, to stir up the union so that they would go and defeat the South. 
When Abraham Lincoln met Julia, he said, so you're the one who started the Civil War. It's amazing the power that songs can have over us. Now, the Civil War was a time where our country was so divided. We know that. And sadly, today, it's becoming the same. Today, we know that we are so polarized, that there is so much animosity going around our nation. It's not just cutting through states. It's cutting through cities, through neighborhoods. And if we're truly honest, it can even cut through churches and families. And maybe some of you have experienced that tension here. And the temptation is to do what Julia did. Maybe not with this hymn, but with our lives. To say it's us versus them. My side's right, their side is wrong. We've got to take matters into our own hands. We've got to glorify our own side. And yet, what does Paul tell the church in Ephesians chapter 4? He says, bear with one another at all costs. He doesn't say, okay, try and get along. Um, try and pretend that you like one another. No, he says, bear with one another at all costs. It's going to hurt. It's going to be hard. There's going to be struggle. There's going to be pain. But bear with one another. Have this unity amongst yourselves. So the question I have for us this morning is how do we as a church, as Highland Park Presbyterian Church, living in a culture that is so divisive, so polarized, how do we remain united? How do we live as salt and light to the earth? How do we become a people that is so united under God? Well, I have one word. Worship. And we're going to see what I'm talking about as we look to Joshua chapter 5. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, let's turn to Joshua 5. We're going to be looking at verses 13 to 15. And as you get there, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come and dig into your word. That it is living and active, that it is sharper than any double-edged sword. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would illuminate your word to us. Would you speak to each one of us where we are, Lord? Would you remind us of who you are, the power you have? And Lord, I pray that you would come and speak through me. May I decrease and you increase. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Joshua 5, starting at verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, Joshua was leading God's people, Israel, 
into the promised land, the land that God had promised them, the land that God was giving them. They had been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and now it was finally time. There was no turning back. But they come upon this city, Jericho. It's a city full of moon worshipers. It's a city full of people who are unholy and evil and against God. And so we have God's people following God, trying to be faithful to him, coming up to this city of evil moon worshipers. And so Joshua is leading them here, and as he's by Jericho, he's probably studying it, noticing that this is a city with tall towers. This is a city with high defensive, with a strong army. And he's probably getting nervous. He's probably looking at the battle up ahead and saying, I don't know how we are going to match our enemies. How are we supposed to conquer this place? He's probably thinking of strategies like, do we have enough men? Do we have enough weapons to take them out? He's probably being crippled by fear in this moment. And maybe y'all have been in this situation. Maybe you're in this situation now where you're facing a battle that is looming over you, that's looking greater than the strength or power that you have to make it on your own. Maybe it's that diagnosis that you've gotten from the doctor or your loved one, and you're not sure how they're going to make it, how they're going to heal. Maybe it's in your career wondering, How am I supposed to get that promotion? How can I get to the next level? My goodness, maybe it's in parenting and wondering, how am I supposed to raise my child up in the way when we are surrounded by a culture of darkness? The list could go on and on of the battles that we face. And we live in a culture of individualism, a culture that says you've got to do it on your own. You've got to figure it out yourself. It's all about the decisions you make. It's all about your own strength and what you do about this situation, right? It's all on us, right? It's all on Joshua to defeat Jericho, right? Wrong. What I love about this story is it doesn't end with Joshua leading the Israelites with their swords defeating Jericho. Rather, it ends with Joshua leading Israel with instruments and praise and worship, and they circle around the tower, and it collapses because they are worshiping God. And that's why I want to talk about worship this morning. I love what William Temple once wrote. He wrote, to worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, to devote the will to the purpose of God. Worship really is three things. It's seeing, trusting, and obeying. Seeing, trusting, And obeying. And that's what we see here in this passage in Joshua 5, verses 13 to 15. First, it's seeing. Just like our song opens up, mine eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. What happens in verse 13? Joshua, he lifts his eyes, and who does he see? 
He sees the Lord, the commander of the Lord's army. Now, who is that? It's the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ himself. Back when I taught kids ministry, I would tell them, it's Jesus before he put skin on. He was there. He showed up to Joshua. Joshua was finally able to take his eyes off of the battle and put them on to the Lord. Jesus tells us, seek and you will find. You know why? Because before we ever seek God, God has been seeking us. Before we ever pursue God, he has been relentlessly pursuing us. It is no accident that Joshua looked up and there was Jesus Christ himself waiting, just waiting for Joshua to look up. You know, he's waiting for us all the time, continually waiting for us to just look up and see him. He says, I'm here. Look at me. I know you're facing this right now, but, but look at me. I love what John Stott says about this. He says, you can never take God by surprise. You can never anticipate him. He always is making the first move. He is always there in the beginning. Before man existed, God acted. Before man stirs himself to seek God, God has sought man. In the Bible, we do not see man groping after God. We see God reaching after man. That's the truth. That is the truth even today, even right now. Jesus says, seek and you will find because our God is here and he is pursuing each one of us even at this moment. So where will we look? Will we navel gaze and just look at our battles, at our feelings, at our circumstances or our logic? Will we just be consumed and strategizing about our situations or will we look up? Will we see our God who is very present right now? So the first part of worship is seeing. The second is trusting. Trusting that when we look at God, when we see him, we will believe what we see. When he speaks his promises, his word to us, we will trust in those promises. That what he reveals to us, we will actually cling to. Now, what God reveals to Joshua in this passage, it's really hard truth for anyone facing a battle. For anyone who is facing any sort of opposition, it's actually really difficult truth. But we're going to lean in. Y'all ready for this? Verse 13, Joshua asked God, are you for us or for our adversaries? That would be like us going to God and saying, okay, God, are you for blue or red? God, are you for black or white? Are you for the United States or are you for China? Are you for Ukraine or are you for Russia? And in verse 14, here's what God replies. No. He says, no. Now, what is God meaning by this? What is he trying to say here? What I believe God is saying here is, no, you cannot 
fit me into a box. You cannot fit me into your agenda, into a political party, into a race, into a culture. Dare I say it? He, we cannot fit him into a nation. God is too big for that. God is unstoppable. He is sovereign. He is uncontrollable, untamable. We cannot, we will not constrain him. We cannot fit him into a box. Now, God is not saying that he's not for us. For throughout scripture, we see that God is for his people. In fact, scripture says, if God is for us, who can be against us? So it's not saying that. Rather, what God says is, no, but I am the commander of the Lord's army. God is saying, no, but look at who I am. With his drawn sword out, ready to fight, he's showing Joshua, he's saying, here I am, ready to fight. But no, I'm not on your side. I'm on the heavenly Father's side. I am here to fight for God's will and accomplish his purposes. And friends, if we know the will of God, then my goodness, he is fighting for us. Our every need, our every longing, our every hope, everything that our heart most deeply needs, that is exactly what God is accomplishing. Do we know this? And so Joshua, in the midst of this battle that could cripple him, he instead sees God and he trusts God and he bows down with his face to the earth and he worships. Will we? Will we do this? You know, Joshua didn't know how God was going to come through and fight his battles. Yet, friends, we do. Because later on, Jesus would come and he would put skin on and his sword would become a cross. And it's there where he has fought our every battle. And it's there where he has won our battles. I love what Walter Teeter, one of our pastors on staff, he says this. He says that Jesus has come and he's defeated it all on the cross. Victory has been accomplished, but from here on out, it's just mop up. It's mop up until Christ returns when it will all be finished completely and restored. But the victory has been won. Do we believe this? Do we believe that when Jesus Christ came and suffered on the cross, that all darkness was engulfed by him? He took on all the sin of the world, all the sin, our sin, the sin of all mankind fell upon him. He came and he despised the shame and the mockery and the suffering. He faced all injustices we could ever face. All ounces of evil came and was up against him and he fought. And he won. Every battle we've faced in the past, every battle we are facing now, everything we will ever face in the future, Jesus has already faced it on the cross for you, for me, and he won. So what are you facing right now? What's looming over you in these days? Come to Jesus. 
and hear that he is with you, that he is fighting for you, that he is one, that we can see him, that we can trust him, that we can put our swords away and let his sword come out and fight for us and be sure that he has the victory. And when we bow down and surrender like this, this is when God speaks to us. This is when he tells us more and more about himself and what we need to do. In fact, here is what God wants to say us to us, Highland Park Presbyterian Church, as we live in this day and age. Here is what God wants to tell you and tell me. And it's in verse 15. He says, take off your sandals. Where you are standing is holy. This past Tuesday on June 28th, a battleship from the World War II was found in the Pacific Ocean, the USS Destroyer. And it was over 22,000 feet deep. That is twice as deep as the Titanic. And it was just found this past Tuesday in the Pacific. And here's what a retired Admiral, Samuel Cox, had to say. He said, this site is a hollowed war grave and serves to remind all Americans of the great cost borne by previous generations for the freedom we take for granted today. He called it a hollowed war grave as if it's sacred, sacred ground. And the reason for that is because of what took place there. It was the Americans who were brave enough to give their life, not for themselves, but for something greater. They joined a mission that was outside themselves for others, for future generations. And when God tells us, take your sandals off, it's not just for us to be humble and reverent, although that's very much true, it's also God's command saying, obey. Get behind me. Follow me. Join me. Join me in the battle. Join me in the victory. Join me in my mission. In the hymn that we are going to sing later in the service, I love these powerful lines. We will sing, he has sounded forth the trumpet that shall never call retreat. As he died to make men holy, let us die to make men free, while God is marching on. Friends, we are called to join God in his grand mission. And the way that we do that, the way we, that we know how to join him is through worship. And I'm not just talking about here on Sunday mornings. I'm talking about a daily, continual life of worship where we are seeing God, where we are trusting God, where we are obeying God. And once we get there, God will be placed back at the center of the hymn that we will sing. But not just that. We truly will be a church that is the salt and light. We will truly know how to act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. We will know how to serve others. We will know how to love God and love our neighbor. And we will be used by him 
to love those around us, to change those around us, even our city, even our country, even our world, our world that is so desperate for light to come into the darkness, our world that is desperate for hope to come into the despair. Will we be those people that God is calling us to go and be the salt and light? Will we be that? That means we've got to be a people who get behind him, not ahead, And we do that through worship. Let us bow our heads. Lord, we thank you that you're a God that we can get behind. That you're a God who is here, who is present, who is calling us to join you. So Lord, would you help us to see you? Help us to trust you. Help us to obey you, whatever that looks like for each one of our lives. Lord, help us to surrender. And when we pick up our own sword, help us to lay it back down day after day. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.